This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're going to be talking about the seven deadly sins today. My guest, author and <laughs> a general all-round media star, commentator, veteran, Mikey Robbins. Hi, James. I still giggle when I hear the word author associated with my name. But, oh, there's a book in front of me, so I, I guess it, I must be. Well, you've had a couple of co-authorships, haven't you? Yeah. And this one's the first one in your own right? Yeah. Uh, many years ago when I was at uh, Triple J, I co-wrote uh, oh, a, a, giggle, a giggle of a book with Helen Razor and another one with Tony Squires and Steve Abbott, better known as The Sandman. Uh, but, this, but this is the first time I've ever actually sort of... Divin, <laughs> divin. <Yeah. laughs> I'm a wordsmith. Dove head deep into into a, into a work like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's the seven deadly sins. Um, I, I always love a book's introduction, and and you've got some of your best stuff right off the top here. Hi, oh. my name is Mikey Robbins, and I can start off by saying I'm not a historian, nor am I a chef, and I'm definitely not a theologian. The theologian. You caught uh, it from me. <laughs> but I was once a fat Catholic 10-year-old whose only two regular appointments outside of school were mass on Sunday and a Weight Watchers meeting on Wednesday. So I got indoctrinated into associating pleasure with guilt from an early age. Yes, yes. That's a thing. I, I, I may not have darkened the uh, the door of a, of a church for a long time, but you never get rid of that Catholic childhood, do you? <laughs> was that, um, I won't get into too much of this, but was that a formative part of your youth, um, Catholicism? Oh, yeah. Uh, my uh, Irish Catholic family, um, large, um, on my mother's side, large family. And um, we always would have large family meals with at least two or three pe- uh, pictures of uh, of Jesus smiling down upon us. Grace, <laughs> grace was said. Confirmation names were given. Uh, rosary, rosary beads were, were quite often handed out as a gift. Yes, yeah, yeah. So just to give us your your view of what the book is. Um, Lust, gluttony, greed. It all sounds like good stuff. It is. Oh, well, thanks. For it's 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 a, a smorgasbord, dare I say, of the most outrageous and bizarre or curious culinary uh, tales from ancient Egypt right through to now, divided up amongst the seven deadly sins. Uh, everything from an ancient Egyptian cure for heartburn, right through to the most expensive. Uh, microwave meal that you could buy in England in 2014, which was 700 Australian dollars a serve for a microwave meal. Yeah. So that obviously goes in greed. Um, Last, we'd look at uh, food as an aphrodisiac and foods that... uh, Foods that make us also to go you know, dining out, seducing foods we seduce with. <laughs> Wrathful and army marches on its stomach. We go to war not only with food but for food. Plus also to there's a couple of really good poisoners in wrath. Right. Um, right. Greed is this. It's, it's interesting. Greed is the sin of acquisition, <laughs> and it's, it's about people that collect food. Also to the, the food as a business, like the largest food and beverage company in the world, uh, Coca Cola, was started because. Um, well, quite frankly, uh, an ex-Confederate colonel uh, had a morphine addiction after the war and um, was suffering from impotence. So, wow. he was, so, he was try- so he was trying to create a, a tonic to make his little colonel happy again. Yes, uh, yeah. So, so, so it's it seen through the prism of the seven deadly sins. And you and you cover all, like, how far back do you go? I mean, and it's up to contemporary times yeah, as well, uh, so yeah. that you cover. Um, it's pretty much what we consider the through line of Western culture, the history we grew up with taught as kids. So it goes back to ancient Egypt and right uh-huh. through, I think the, the latest thing I wrote about 
is the most expensive bottle of vodka in the world, which bizarre enough is in Russia, and it's made for oligarchs, <laughs> and it's $3 million a bottle. It, it's encrusted in jewels. I, mean, I made a very conscious decision, though, that to stick with Western culture and Western recipes. I, just, I, I vary about two. The main reason being is the book I'd like to think is entertaining, so I like to take the piss. Right. And <laughs> so, so I made a conscious decision at the start to, you know, not make fun of other, other other people's food cultures, just make fun of my own food culture. There are plenty of other people that, you know, that, that can do that. I'm not going to pass judgment on what other cultures eat, but I am going to pass judgment on what we, on what we eat. I'm interested in the uh, – it's, it's a good idea, this. but <laughs> Thank you. But how would you have come around? Because it seems to – did it was it a – Something you'd looked at for a long time? Or? That's, that's a really good question, James. It came from many years ago. I was reading a biography of the French chef, Escoffier, who was the one of the first celebrity chefs of the, of the late um, 19th century. And there was a passage where it's, it's called, and I read about, read about it later, set in the siege of Paris in 1870 when the Prussians have Paris cut off and they are starving the Prussians to death. But it was Christmas as well, and a bunch of French officers wanted to have a Christmas feast. A restaurant called Voisson couldn't find anything to serve them. At the same time, they couldn't feed the animals at the, at the local zoo. <laughs> so you can see what happened. <laughs> and it was such a bizarre story. I remember talking about it, and that, that piqued my interest. So I started collecting books on, on culinary history. And there's some fantastic books out there. But they're very academic. Hmm. And I kept reading stuff and going, this is really weird. And um, the actual germ of this was, was actually a, a, an idea for a documentary. Okay. And um, d- d- we developed that up. And then a while ago, my agent said, um, do you reckon there's a book in it? And I thought, that's not a bad idea. And so I disappeared off into my home office for a year and a year later I'm out with a book. <laughs> Because I mean, well, I took this to bed the other night, and Thank it's you. it's a um, it's a it's a it's a good read, but it's not a hard read, which is nice. Thank you. W- were you mindful of that at times? To because the the research here, you could have it'd be like like I, th- I think about you know searching travel options on the internet. You go crazy because the amount of stuff, and you've you've just got to draw a line sometime and go, okay, that's it. Well, as I say at the start, I'm not an historian. Mm. But as my wife says, I'm a storyteller. Actually, she says I'm a bullshit artist. <laughs> and so that was that was my, that was my approach. Was I, I I'd read these academic tomes, and then try to break it down into a, a story I'd tell at a dinner party. And quite frankly, the book is a collection of I think about 250 good dinner party yarns. <laughs> um, so, some are longer. Not not all not all are very funny. I'm not. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to be humorous most yep. of the time. But there are some stories which are really quite serious and interesting, like the, the tale of the, um, of the woman that invented the dishwasher after the Civil War, which, oh. is, which is a great story. Um, does it date back that far, does it, yeah, the dishwasher? Yeah, It's amazing. In mm. fact, no one... Um, can we pause for a second while, yeah, while, while, yeah. while, while, while I, I find her? I was going to say, for um, the, the people who are interested in some of the stories here, you've got a great little um, suggested reading sort of annex <laughs> yes. at, at the back. Um, you say, look, as much as I enjoyed writing this book, I would be the first person to admit I have crouched on the shoulders of giants. So then you give us several pages of, of some of um, the, the key works that would be good. Then you've even got a further suggested reading list, which um, you, you get into. The internet, yes. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> jo- uh, Josephine Cochran was her name, and um, her husband was a rising star in the Democrat Party 
after the Civil War. So they throw these large dinner parties. They also had antique Chinese crockery. She came down one morning and a plate was chipped, so she decided not to let the servants do it, she'd okay. do it herself. Right. She couldn't, she, it was just too much. <laughs> so one morning, her father was an engineer. One morning, she had a brainwave, ran to the library within half an hour, had designed a dishwasher that worked off water pressure from the tap. The problem was she was a woman without an engineering degree. She couldn't find a male engineer to draw up the pattern who didn't want to change her basic design. These days we call that mansplaining. Mm. (laughs) And eventually she, no one bought it, but she sold it to the second largest hotel in Chicago. And the story, she writes about it in her her autobiography. She has a meeting with 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 the manager of the hotel and she's in the foyer and she almost faints. Because it's the 1880s at that stage and a woman on her own in a hotel foyer was a lady of the night. Right. She said she'd never been out in public without her husband or her father on her arm. I'll cut this, long story short, she sells it to, 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 to the hotel. She then goes on, um, works up until three weeks before she dies and then the company that buys the patent goes on to become Whirlpool. Mm, right, wow. So that's that's one of the more serious stories. Then, then again, there are stories how we got uh, the word for avocado from the ancient Aztec word for testicles. <laughs> so I, I, I balanced them out, mate. I balanced them out. Yeah, okay. There's like, there's some uh, repetitive themes, like a farting is one of them. Well, that's, which, yeah. which is a crowd pleaser anyway, right? It does. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it falls into sloth. Uh, well, it's a part of etiquette and um, the, there's also the story of Tarah, the, um, the French... Uh, Glutton, who, uh, unlike a lot of other gluttons, was actually a rather thin man. The only time you knew you were in his presence because you could smell him. <laughs> Tarah coming from Tarah, the, the French phrase for an explosion. The guy was deeply gaseous. <laughs> or the fact that, the, the fact that Claudius uh, considered drafting a law to... He, he didn't know which way to go. He, uh, farting at a banquet was very bad manners in the, amongst the Romans. And he heard the story of a, uh, of a friend of his... Who, Almost fainted trying to hold in a particularly loud fart at a, at a banquet, so he was going to. He, he drafted a law to make farting legal. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, and this, you know, it, it's really funny when you go back to the old etiquette books, and, and I did a lot of research on uh, 13th century, 15th century, and 19th century etiquette. Um, just things you wouldn't like from the 13th century. If you're at dinner and you blow your nose, do not show others what's in your hand. And mm. um, this is my fa- this is my favourite. This is this is from a, a, a religious <laughs> cleric. If you're if you're at a banquet and the mistress of the house makes it known that she would like to have sexual pleasure with you, oh. your best strategy is to feign illness. That way, no one's upset or offended. <laughs> There's a nice little section of our colour plates in here. Some some illustrations from. Um Again, uh, overall periods are some interesting, um, I guess, 20th century stuff and it, it goes right back to the old days, so that, mm. that, that's always good to see. Oh, I was very lucky we managed to find a, a World War One poster yeah. about the women that were known as the Donut Lassies who were Salvation Army women who went over to raise the morale of the troops, American troops in World War One, And the way they did that was to make donuts for them, but they had to improvise. So they'd scrounge whatever ingredients they could and at the start, they were cooking the donuts in upturned um, helmets mm. with lard and using spent artillery shells as rolling pins. Wow. And they became known as, as, as the donut lassies. 
Because I mean, my thought is that well, the donut must be a relatively recent it invention, is. but it's still been around a while. Oh, it, 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 the, the origins are, are a little unsure. It's, okay. it's, it seems to have come from, like most deep-fried pleasures, somewhere in northern Europe. Yes, yeah. At least in Europe. Yeah, okay. Um, is there – how did you cull it down to this much? Because you must have had a fair bit of content. Yeah, I did. Um my first criteria for a story was, is this entertaining? Uh, and then the second criteria was, can I get enough facts to back it up? <laughs> and um, you, you, and that's one of the weird things about researching on the internet. Everyone thinks that that would be a boon, and it is. Except for one thing, you've got to triple check every fact because mm-hmm. you, know, you can read three different essays on the one topic and dates are different and things are out. But, uh, but the other thing about the internet, which I really enjoyed, was a good it was a rabbit hole. I remember one day I, st- I started researching how modern molecular chefs were using ash as a way of uh, getting a caramelised flavour in food. By the end of the day, I'd found out that Roman gladiators made a drink out of ash, vinegar and water, which was basically the precursor of Gatorade. <laughs> it actually helped them with electrolytes. Mm. So it was... A, it was the point I'm making is what what I would start researching in the morning would quite often not be the thing I would write in the afternoon. Yes. Which which made not all the time, but it happened a few times, and it made it very exciting for me. Like there'd be times I'd be halfway through something and discover something new on that topic. So I am um, I I had so much fun writing this. I, I, I look. I've always loved food. I've always been a bit of a history nerd. And um, my wife loved it because uh, the house was incredibly spotless. Because <laughs> I, I, I describe writing as like going to the gym. Right. It's okay when you're there, but you'll put it off to the last possible <laughs> minute. That, oh, I was washing dishes and vacuuming. She, yeah, I'll, I'll go. No, don't, no, I'll go to the shops, darling. And so eventually, I'd walk upstairs to, to our little home office, and then, you know, four or five hours a day, just punch it out. Tim, now, when I was a youngster, there was no internet, of course, but and I used to go and research and stuff like the state library That's, and things yes. like that. Is there a, still a need to go to a library and a place like we've got here, say, in Sydney, for example? And, uh, or can you get nearly most books of, of just turn up somewhere in their complete uh, state on well, the internet? I, I, I would no, – no, no, definitely not. But I would say that um, maybe one or two tips – one or two trips to the library, but quite frankly, over the past five or six years, I've amassed quite a good collection of okay. books on this topic. What uh, what the internet was really good for was uh, getting academic papers, which wouldn't have been published uh-huh. anywhere else, yep. and then trawling through someone's 5,000-word essay <laughs> on on um, food envy. It was actually a, a, a professor in an American university wrote an essay on why whenever we, we go out for dinner... Whatever arrives in front of you, I suddenly want. You know the thing when you're, you're, you're at a restaurant and you know, you've, you've ordered something and your mate's ordered something and you look at that and go, I wish I'd have had that. And they actually codified the, the psychological experience of, of food envy. Yes. So, um, so yeah, for finding obscure papers, the, the internet was, you know, academic papers, the, the internet was, was wonderful. And you're a big book purchaser still? Yeah. Yep. There's something, so- you know, people, and don't, don't get me wrong, there's, hmm. I'm not going to knock ebooks. Quite frankly, my royalties are better on ebooks than they are for the real book. <laughs> but there's something about having the object in your hand. And there's something about walking into a bookshop that just feels good. Mm. Maybe it's a childhood thing that I, I, uh, I've never been able to erase. But I, I love walking into a bookshop. 
and you know, and getting lost and finding a book you hadn't heard of, and and, and secondhand bookshops too are always great. I just worry now that I get. I mean, you're obviously a younger man than I am. No, no, but, no I'm, I'm, I'm. But but I worry about if I keep buying this stuff, where does it go? And it, it's going to be totally worthless, perhaps, to someone else. That the last time my wife and I moved house, we decided to cull our library. Did you? No one would take it. No one. <laughs> right. I, I, eventually, there was a second. It's tragic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, not even. Not even the charities wanted it. And mm. I mean, so and I really hated throwing away books. Mm. So uh, they're all up in boxes. Most of them are up in boxes <laughs> in the attic. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I hate. That. I've, I actually pay a storage unit for a lot of mine. I think, oh God, these are costing me so much. Yeah, there's this. They're up there with my CDs. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was explaining to someone the other day. That uh, it was my nephew, and uh, he started playing in a band, and I went and saw them play, and they're doing a whole bunch of Rolling Stones and stuff. And I said, "Oh, mate," um, I said, "I've got a really extensive collection of, uh, of Rolling Stones CDs. If you want to listen to them," and he looked at me and said, "I've got nothing to play them on," and I went, "Oh, that's right." Yeah. Mm. Then I thought, "Well, my set, actually my old stereo is packed away in the attic. I I, I listen to everything through a." Uh, uh, a Zeppelin. Yeah, okay. okay. Which, which are, actually, I tell you what, the Zeppelin sounds better than my old stereo. Mm. Yeah, it's almost if CDs will probably disappear before vinyl completely because oh, vinyl's... Vinyl's, it, vinyl's beautiful. Yeah, vinyl's good and it's got a place, but CDs you can sort of do without, can't you? And then you, you can have either vinyl or yeah. or um, stream your stuff, I guess. Well, the, the, thing, the thing about... Someone made this point to me the other day about vinyl records... <laughs> We lost the art of album notes. Remember when every, every uh, I remember buying the first Jethro Tull album, that was, and it came with a beautiful little essay on the back cover that explained the recording process of it. And we've sort of lost that a bit. Oh, absolutely. I know the um, the Beatles, um, a.k.a. the White Album, has just been re-released and the vinyl is just staggering. You get, there's a brilliant book. Oh, yeah. There's liner notes. There's even more versions of all the songs. So for people still in vinyl, you, you're really getting spoiled. I, yeah, the White Album is one of those. Was it's one of those albums that really shows your later adolescence. Where you go, <laughs> you know, it's like I used to like the early Beatles, but now it's so oh, number nine, number nine, <laughs> number nine. The um, yeah, how did you get on with your publisher, uh, Simon and Schuster? Was the editor sort of cracking the whip to get this finished, or how did that go? Uh, I couldn't have asked for a, a more wonderful editor. Uh, Brandon was just fabulous. Simon and Schuster were great. They got the concept of the book from the very start. Uh-huh. In fact, to be honest, what the object I'm holding in, in my hand far exceeds my expectations. <laughs> the, the artwork is beautiful. Wait, is there a story behind that? That's, it's a great cover. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a painting from um, 1590. Oh, okay, okay. Of, of a Holy Roman Emperor, but it's 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 made out of fruit and vegetables. Yes, which is, which is it's a it's a beautiful painting. And it was funny, we, we had the meeting to, to pick the cover. They were holding it back and I, I said, I know you're holding one back. And, that, and then I went, yeah, that's the cover. That is the, because I, I'd come along with my own ideas. And there's that moment in a meeting where you go, no, they're right. Hmm. They're right. My idea is cute, but their idea is right. Um, but, yeah, Brandon's background is, is, is nonfiction. Um, and, and so he was really good at keeping me on the straight and narrow when it comes to, you know, writing facts and stuff. But also, too, he's, he's got a very dry sense of humour. So he got the gags as well. And also, too, it was very much on me not to push the jokes in the book. Like, there, I, I didn't want the book... I wanted the book to be entertaining and amusing, but I didn't want it to be gaggy. 
Sure, and, sure. And he was very good at that. I don't want to probe your financials or anything, but can you make a living as an author or is this a labour of love? Ask me next year. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, mm. ask me. It is a labour of love. I, I, I did it because I love it and and um, apparently the publishers are happy with the way it's selling. I don't. I will, I will, I will assess it in about six, seven months' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it'd be remiss of me not to acknowledge your um, brilliant media career, Mikey, on oh, on TV, radio. Um, do you? I mean, you did breakfast TV, breakfast radio for a long time, didn't you? Yeah, I've, I had a couple of stints at. Well, the longest was at Triple J. Then I did the M's. Then do you remember Radio Two? That digital startup that didn't really happen. No, no one remembers that. That I, wasn't the one out at Parramatta or something. Oh, Homebush. Like Homebush. Homebush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually went to the launch of that. I think you were there too. I, yeah. But did Doug Mulry play that? Someone? Or no, was it um, um, that, from Newcastle? You know him. Um, yeah. Love is in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. John Paul Young. Yeah, John Paul Young. He Young's. played then, didn't yeah. he? It yeah. was a very bizarre experiment, it was that a, one, wasn't it? It? Was a, it was one of those weird ones where you're like, <laughs> is anyone listening? Oh, okay. And, and, then, and then a couple of years at, at Vega with my... Oh, that's, of course, yes. This was t- with Tony Squires yep. um, and the late dearly missed Rebecca Wilson. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> that was a drive show, wasn't no, it? No, it was Brecky. Oh, it was Brecky, was it? T- Tony and... Tony, Tony and Rebecca did drive, They started in drive and, okay. then, and then they moved into breakfast with Angela Turns. Right. And then Beck got, um, got the flu and... I came in one day to fill in for her and was that was in December and I was full time by by January. Oh. <coughs> and um yes, yeah, so I've spent a lot of time in my life getting up before sunrise. Yeah. Vega of course and it, it spent a little time as a classic rock station then it's um, now smooth FM. And working. Yeah, doing, it, it, it doing wor- very well. It, it, it's one of those things where I remember saying to them when when they changed format this will never work and I was like you just proved me completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and of course I'm um, long time on uh, good news week. Yeah, we uh, that was a it was so funny that show. It was it was, it was the show that it was the show they couldn't kill. <laughs> uh, at the end of the first year, I was told we were axed. We then came back and did two right. more years at the ABC. Then we did a couple of years at ten, and then we got axed again. And then then I went on on a triple M, and I was coming home from New, uh, holiday. I was, I, I, was, I was at the airport. I was coming home from from New York actually. <laughs> Long story short, <laughs> we went to New York because you know the raffle out the front of Woolies where you can win the. You know, right. for, yeah, I yeah. won it. Really? Yeah, I won a little car. So oh, we, we so we, and as I was coming back through my uh, off the plane, Ted Robinson, the EP of Good News Week, called and said, um, "Channel Ten want to do six reunion specials of Good News Week." I said, wow. "Oh, cool." And that turned into another three and a bit years. Gee. And. Uh, yeah, uh, and it was the best job I've ever had because Paul had to go to rehearsals and all I had to do was turn up once a week. <laughs> <coughs> I, I, I saw Paul last night. He, was, he helped me launch the book in Sydney in Glee Books. Okay, was, so Paul McDermott, Paul of course, McD- we're and, talking about. And yeah. it was so much fun being on stage with him again. Yes. It's just, it was like, he, I mean, I've said it before, he's probably the best improviser and host in Australian TV and radio. He's, so I bet the gags would have been flying thick and fast, were uh, they? Thick and fast, yeah. We, we, we're, we're, we're only supposed to present for half an hour. <laughs> if, if they hadn't stopped us, we'd probably still be up there. Right. Oh, fantastic stuff. Look, Mikey, great to uh, chat to you today. Seven Deadly Sins is the book, uh, Asterix and One Very Naughty Fruit. You have to buy the book to find out what the fruit is. Okay, Simon & Schuster, it's out now. Um 
dare I say it, a brilliant Christmas gift You know what, for yourself or someone else. It's a hardcover, so it's easy to wrap. It does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real book, isn't it? I, it's I, great holding it. I, I know. Hardcover. It's y- wonderful stuff. The, the day it arrived, I got my first advanced <laughs> copy and everyone was working. My, my, my wife was out at the uni where she works. All my <laughs> mates were working. So I had it. So I went round the corner to the bottle shop and I bought myself a bottle of wine, a bottle of wine that I like. Then I went to my local deli and got some ham mm. and a bread roll and I just sat at the table and <laughs> had a glass of wine and had some ham and and, and read it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I know, I'm, you know, all I can say is to my year nine English teacher, yes, I did write a book, Mrs Harrison. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Congratulations. Thanks, Mikey. Lovely to talk to you, mate.